You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things comics and movies. This is episode number seventy-three. We're discussing everything you need to know before watching Wonder Woman. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Troy. And welcome back to the listeners, new and returning. I am ecstatic to be back at the table to discuss Wonder Woman. This is a combo character I'm not incredibly familiar with, but I'm excited because of the reception this movie is getting. It's much better than we've seen in the past for the DC Extended Universe, for the DC Cinematic Universe, and I'm really pumped to go in and discuss some of this. I had a lot of fun putting this episode together because, again, like some of you, I'm fairly new to this character. Yeah, no, I'm totally pumped. You know, it's crazy to think that Wonder Woman hasn't had a standalone cinematic movie of her own yet, you know? Yes. So this is great. It's been a huge buildup. I'm a big fan of her new 52 run, and I can't wait to see this movie. It was on, it's pretty highly anticipated on my list, I believe, for the 2017 uh, superhero films. Yeah, it was up so. there. It was a little bit lower <laughs> yeah. on mine, yeah. but I think there's there's a little bit something behind that. And I'm hoping to kind of we get to buck that trend. We yes. get to kind of get off of this negativity of the DC Cinematic Universe and get into something that's positive. And I think this movie has a lot of potential to do that. So we're going to be coming back next week to actually review the movie. What this episode is all about is talking what you need to know to go into this movie. What's going to enhance your experience? You're not thinking and trying to put together pieces. So we're going to talk about some of the characters, some of the plot points, a little bit of the history from the comics of Wonder Woman. And we've even got some input from Sanjay, who unfortunately could not be here tonight. He wanted to be here, could not make it, but he's our our in-house Wonder Woman expert. But he sent along some comic book recommendations for those looking to get into the comic books before or even after if you're quite intrigued by this character. So he sent those along. We're going to rattle those off at the end of the episode. And that's when we're actually going to talk about Wonder Woman at the end of the episode. Because right now, we're going to jump into some news. And to kick it all off, I thought we'd talk a little bit about Star Wars. Last week, we discussed the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. How did you end up celebrating? I actually ended up putting... Well, because I actually went out to Vegas. So what (laughs) I did is I I took my my number one, number two Star Wars film, um, Revenge of the Sith put on my phone and I watched on the plane ride to Vegas and man I I love that movie I don't care what people say about the prequels it's definitely the best one of all the prequels you know and that that fight scene at the end it it holds up it's great it's great what'd you do you know, I, I did get to sit down and watch Rogue One and A New Hope. It did take me two days, mm-hmm. so it wasn't actually on the day. I didn't end up doing any real toy hunting. No. I, my buddy Brad, he was out at the Disney store and kind of running around Toys R Us and Walmart. And there wasn't much to report on, wasn't much going on on the shelves there. He did see all the exclusives at the Disney store. And we made a collective decision, as he had me on FaceTime there, to not really go for these. They were stacked pretty deep. I bet. He showed up at about 3 p.m., and there were still 20 plus of the Luke and Han left. So I said, you know what? I'm going to sit on these. I'm going to wait. Yeah. He said that the face sculpts and the paint applications were much better though. Okay. Yeah. He says they have improved that. I haven't seen them in person yet. I haven't right. made it down to the Disney store. But he was pretty happy with what he saw. He didn't end up buying anything. Yeah. Because uh, we kind of said, you know, let's just maybe wait this out a bit and just see. Because there's even still the droid packs from May the 4th were still kicking around at the wow. Disney store too. Okay, well, that's a big factor because, you know, going back to that last episode, you and I, 
talk strongly about the face apps on those figures yeah. for the Elite Series. So, I mean, if they improve the face, then I might have to go back there and grab those. Yeah, I'm going to have to see because I guess there's a weird variant on Luke as well. There's a brown and a blonde-haired Luke. So it's very Whoa. similar to what was happening in the vintage line as well from like the original yes. 1970s, right? Right. Yeah, so it's kind of cool that they're doing stuff like wow. that. Wow. So, so which one's the the the, the variant? The I blonde th- or the brown? I don't really know, to be honest yeah. with you. Brad was saying that he didn't see any blonde-haired ones. Oh, okay. So I don't know if the blonde-haired ones are going to be harder to get yeah. or if that's just what he kind of saw. I don't know how it's distributed across the stores yeah. in the city and all that. Or if there was like two per 20, I don't know. So Crazy. something might be worth going on and kind of checking out on the internet a bit and just seeing if that variant's more difficult to get. Because if that's the case, yeah. that may drive me even more towards picking these up at retail if I can get my hands on the one that is more exclusive. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've always been like the blonde Luke. That's just kind of been my idea of Luke is blonde hair. Yeah. So I might have to go after that now. Nice, nice. And, you know, Star Wars, they were celebrating with us, too. Not only did they have all these in-store specials at the Disney Store and Lego Store, they released the images from inside of the Vanity Fair magazine. Now, we talked about the covers last week, the very beautiful cover of Princess Leia, General Leia. We had the Poe and Finn. We had Luke and Rey. And the Rose, the reveal of Rose. Yeah, the reveal of Rose. We had Kylo, Phasma, and General Hux. These were gorgeous. But the pictures inside are even more beautiful. The photographer here, Annie Leibovitz, she was in Ireland, she was on set, she was at Pinewood Studios, and man, was she able to capture some absolutely incredible images. And along with these came some reveals of characters that we weren't too sure of yet. Laura Dern from Jurassic Park fame, we got her image here. She's known as Vice Admiral Haldo. I think I'm saying that right. She's a high-ranking officer in the Resistance. She's got a real Mon Mothma feel to her. Cool. And she's got purple hair and a big purple dress on, more of a gala dress. As you can see from what we're going to talk about a little later with the Legos, yes. she does seem to have a more formalized resistance attire in the movie. But she looks like she should be a pretty cool character. And like I said, I got a Mon Mothma vibe off here. What are you feeling from this? The purple hair, a little different from Star Wars. Yeah, a little, little of a Guardians vibe. Guardians and uh, Hunger Games a yeah. little bit. But you know, yes. I was really hoping this character was going to be um, Leia's counterpart there or Leia's kind of rival from Bloodlines. I really want that character. I forgot her name. I should have checked that out. But I was really hoping it was going to be her because she's kind of still left open from Bloodlines. And everybody out there that has checked that book knows how the importance of that character and what she brought to the table in that that book. So, But besides that, though, I really do like her look. And um, everything I'm getting off these images feels a little different from Star Wars. But but right at the same time, you know, it's not like they're paying so much homage as opposed to Force Awakens. I feel like here they're really setting a new tone. Yeah, they're yeah. they're evolving a bit. It seems. Evolving, exactly. And yeah. like they've, they, you know, they did capture a lot of the original trilogy in the Force Awakens, and yeah. I think that was appropriate for there. Absolutely. But now they're going in a completely different direction. You know, we're seeing these characters that feel like they're from Coruscant, that feel like they're the in the upper echelons of society here. Right. Even still. When the the galaxy has been thrown into chaos, we're getting these gallows because this is another picture we get is from this Canto Bite. So this is. What seems to be some sort of high-end party. Everyone's wearing suits and big uniforms and gala-type dresses. Like this is pretty different from what we've seen in the past. Like yeah. it's it's got kind of a bit of a prequel vibe, right. but it seems to fit a bit better into the Star Wars framework. I think. Yeah, and and again, I mean, kind of going to small ter- uh, spoiler territories here. Touches upon bloodlines. You know, when we had that bombing. This totally feels like that kind of setup, you know, that kind of tone exactly. of characters, right? The napkin bombing, yes. Exactly. It feels yeah. like what was going on in Hosnian Prime. Yes. Like the uh, Bloodlines is a, is a perfect book to read to fit into this. For I agree sure. with you 100% there. 
Yeah. You know, that you really got me thinking yeah. now after you started dropping bloodlines here. Right. It's like, man, that makes a hundred percent sense that that's yeah. what the feel was for those high class people. So for sure. it's interesting because like you look at today's society and there's this big separation, particularly in the States between the upper class and the lower class. And you're kind of seeing that here, I think. And that's what, you know, you did get that in the prequels as well. It's like right. you're, you're high class and then you got people on Tatooine that live in dirt and slavery. Exactly. But then you got all these people that are you know going to galas, rich and all this. So it's interesting that they're showing a bit of that or reflecting a bit of that in this movie. Yeah, especially coming off of even Rogue One because yeah. a lot of that was kind of like the underground. Yeah. So I really like what they're doing here with the direction. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about this picture of Benicio Del Toro? Now this is a character that we have no idea what's going on. Apparently on set, they call him DJ. Okay. But why that is i guess it's yet to be seen it's more of a nickname yeah. for the character because he, i guess he goes somewhat unnamed in the film and wow. there's been a lot of rumors swirling with this yeah. character with his age i particularly don't buy into this but yeah. people are saying that he could be ezra bridger right what are your thoughts on that after seeing this image of him wearing this kind of long trench coat he looks pretty dirty yeah the scene behind him looks a bit more like star wars yeah like it looks like kind of the seedy underbelly right like that's the vibe i'm getting off this character yeah you know it's a tough sell i mean because i want it to be ezra yeah. but at the same time it's like the chance of it being ezra it's pretty hard but you know i did see some uh some photos out there that you know shows ezra's scars i think ezra has like the two the two marks yeah. and i think they found one on uh, benicio del toro there on the same side i mean obviously you know us being big comic book heads here we always know that blue hair kind of represents black hair yeah you know so there, there's that going on they kind of have the same similar hairstyle the age as at least for what i believe in i do believe that ezra um leia and luke and even thane are all roughly the same age yeah from when the empire was born so that would make sense that mark hamill's age and beating Sil del toro's age lines up he looks a little younger a little younger yeah, yeah but yeah. you know you can let that slip a yeah. little that hot sand on tatooine it'll, yeah. it'll do wonders for you <laughs> <laughs> it'll get to you yeah it's years <laughs> off yeah. so i i don't know i mean it's, it's it's probably not gonna be but i mean they're holding really tight to not revealing his name especially with rebels coming out so yeah. i don't i don't know what do you think? Yeah, I, I've never really fully bought in that Ezra's going to be in this movie. Right. Yeah, I would love the universe to kind of work that in. Yeah. And that he's been, I don't know, like frozen in carbonite or something for, for decades. And right. he's just popped up recently. But what I really think this guy is, is particularly he might have some sort of role with Finn and Poe and Rose and whatever they're doing. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he's a slicer or if he's something like that. Like he's part of some sort of underbelly of the galaxy right. and he gets them from point A to point B. Like a spice dealer or something. Yeah, even. Some, yeah. That's the vibe I'm getting off this, that yeah. he has something to do there. Mm-hmm. And he's maybe some sort of crime boss, crime lord. I I think you'd see him show up maybe more in the Han Solo movie rather than him being Ezra. I'd buy more into that. Oh, for his character showing up in the Han Solo movie? Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. I'm just That's cool. But I, I see what you're saying with his, with the character that they established, at least what you think, yeah. would make more sense in like... Um, Fair. Um, I've got the name. The Scandal, like a Scandal film. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like playing with that, you know, like I, I called it last week, the Han Solo, like the CD corner of the, the Star Wars universe, right? Yes. Playing with that, the, you know, real gritty, grimy type of character. Right. That's kind of what I get off here. So like, I'm excited we'll for it. We'll have to see, but there's a lot of mystery around him, right? Yeah. yeah. And we got a lot of really nice behind-the-scenes images with director Ryan Johnson, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Kathleen Kennedy. One in particular here. They're sitting here. They're talking. Carrie Fisher's dog's here. This is a beautiful black-and-white photo. 
And I, I, I think just because of the circumstances surrounding Carrie, like all the photos with her in them, I find them just that much more emotional. Like these are all fantastic photos, but every moment they've captured with her, I kind of look, I'm like, wow, like I'm, I'm really, really upset yeah. that we're not going to see her ever again, kind of portrayed this character and in real life, like she was a character in real life. And I, I look at these and they're, like I said it last week, they're kind of haunting to me kind of looking at them that they captured all these before her death. And even the one with her and Mark Hamill, and he's got his arms around yeah. her. Like that is... It's that's, powerful. It's a very powerful. Yeah. And the fact that they captured that prior to her passing, like, wow, it's yeah. a gorgeous photo. Like out of all these photos, that was the only one I took and posted on our Twitter account. Yeah. Because that was I was just a beautiful photo. For sure. It's, it's touching, you know, something like that seems like they belong in like some sort of museum yeah. almost, you know, it's, it's it really is some modern art going on there with the photography and just the presence of Carrie Fisher in those those photos yeah. is, is great. So these are definitely things you can put up on your walls. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get some prints made of some Nice. Movies, for sure. Nice. Now, what do you think of Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher being in this one pit, picture in particular? This looks like it's on... Pinewood Studios on the actual set. And, you know, there's there's been some conjecture as to whether or not Luke and Leia were going to have some sort of reunion towards the end of the film. Do you think this image confirms that, being that they both are on set and both appear to be in costume? Or do you think this is just, you know, they're kicking around filming different things at different ends of the Pinewood and they just come together to kind of talk with Kathleen and Ryan and just do this photo? Or do you think this is actually part of some sort of scene? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, not even going off of this picture, I think for sure we are going to see them have a reunion because that was some backlash that The Force Awakens had, unfortunately, yeah. is the fact that we didn't get to see the big three together ever. So I, I think we will see them. Whether this photo indicates that, I don't necessarily know. Just because, you know, these guys are in and out of shoots so much, yeah. they could have been anywhere. So I just don't know. But my gut tells me, and going off of, you know, the last movie or at least Force Awakens, I think we're definitely going to see those two together. Maybe even Chewie as well. Yeah. yeah. Because they've really avoided that in a lot of the extended universe material, the new canon that we're reading, is that Luke isn't present in anything. No. And you do get him a bit, I guess, at the end in Shattered Empire. Right. But outside of that, he's nowhere. They're never together. No. Not in bloodlines, not in anything, not in aftermath. Like he's he's gone everywhere. Oh, so even aftermath. Aftermath, he doesn't show up. I think they they have a few brief moments where Leia is trying to talk to him through the Force, but outside of that, nothing. Wow. He's got a few mentions here and there. Yeah. But yeah, nowhere. Yeah, so bloodlines, he's just training uh, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's off. Like they've avoided telling that character story for a reason because it's going to get told in these movies. Yeah, and, and we have this book too coming out too, right? With the the Legends of Luke, if, Luke whether that takes place. Yeah, it between... looked like from the cover, my assumption always was it's going to be over a few eras. Yeah. So we might get some and we get a bit of the, the Leia book, but I guess that's pre, that's when pre, she's younger. Yeah, yeah, when she's younger. Yeah, kind of but, by Claudia Gray yeah, again, exactly. right? Yeah, oh, exactly. I can't wait that's, for that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, that, that Luke book, you know, it might even take place in between like, you know, some Dagobah and yeah. Empire there a little it's bit. It's going right? to fill in some of the, the holes in his story. Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, it might even kind of finally answer this you know the training on Dagobah how yes. long was it yeah because I've heard all these crazy rumors about that one yeah. how that works so yeah. but, but when I looked at this photo the first time I saw it my immediate assumption was yes this is a scene with both of them in it and yeah. I'm just taking the, her hair's done she's 
in costume, they're standing there. And I, yeah, I get that they could be doing different scenes at different parts of the studio or whatever. Yeah. But I really do think that they're going to have this, this end scene or this reunion towards the end. And I think whether they tweak it or not towards the end to make it a bit more of an emotional moment. Yeah. Because this might be one of the last times we actually see Carrie Fisher portraying this character. Yes. You know, like, what are they going to do about Han's funeral? Like, is Luke going to come back for that? Are they going to wait to do that? Like, I don't know. Like, might not be a thing in the galaxy, but... That's what I was wondering, too, because you know, obviously, we're going on a little bit of tangent, but we had in the prequels, we had Qui-Gon. Yes. is a huge funeral, yeah. right? And I was thinking, okay, well, going into this movie, seeing how it does take place right after um, uh, Force Awakens, we're going to get Billy Dee Williams, like Lando show up, hopefully, but, but for sure he's not in the movie. But that would make sense for him to show up, yeah. and Luke, and R2, and all these characters, and I guess we're not getting that? I mean... They Who could knows? wait to do it towards another point in the movie because, yeah, we are coming basically right off his death. So he's been yeah. dead for probably days by yeah. the time Ray takes off, right? Exactly. So, and they don't have a body, I don't think. No, no. <laughs> so I don't know what they're going to do there. Yeah. They have to honor that character, I think, in this movie in some way, right? Like he's Absolutely. He's you know, a hero of the rebellion, a former general. You know, he does a lot in aftermath yeah. for the New Republic. Right. So this needs to be a character that is celebrated, I think, yeah. for his accomplishments in the Star Wars galaxy. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope they don't go a cheesy route by opening the Han Solo film, like the young Han Solo film, with like a clip of like the new episodes yeah. of them, like, you know, going back in time or something over the funeral. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I hope they don't do something kind of weird like that. I hope something's answered, at least in the new film, episode eight. So, yeah, I'm sure we will. Yeah. And the last kind of grouping of photos that we did get were focused in on Luke and Ray and a lot of this training montage. Yes. So we're getting some images from. Act two, where we see them end at the end of The Force Awakens. We get some cool looking little huts there in the background. Apparently, this is going to contain some of the indigenous race of Act two. And they're kind of little tiny dudes and that protectors of the of the island. So we're going to get to see some of them. I guess maybe less protectors, more caretakers that are apparently not Ewoks. <laughs> Or children, yes, like the Yoda children, yes. comic. Yeah. And we get some really nice images here of Daisy Ridley wielding the lightsaber. Um, there's a lot of talk about what the feeling of this training montage is going to be like. Is this going to be similar to the Empire Strikes Back, Luke, and Yoda sequence? Are we going to get kind of a, a rehashing of a bit of that? Because when you look at that, like when you look and compare and contrast the two movies from what we're getting, there's a lot of parallels you can draw between this and Empire Strikes Back. Not right. only this training montage, we do know that there's going to be walkers in this big space battles. So it's going to be interesting to see how much, not so much retreading, but using similar concepts in the second movie right. that they're actually going to pull from Empire, or even finishing on somewhat of a darker note. Like I can see this movie ending that way. Yeah. And that kind of points towards what we were talking about at the start, where this movie already feels darker, different from what we had in the more optimistic The Force Awakens, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, just going off of that trailer, because uh, the trailer was, the best thing that trailer for me was the training montage there with it with the lightsaber. Just yeah. seeing Ray swinging that thing. If I can get like five minutes of that going on, you know, maybe her climbing a mountain, some rocky stuff, rocky training. I'm a big sucker for those eighty training, eighties um, training uh, scenes. But anyways, yeah, I hope we get to see something like that. Um, we noticed Luke's glove here though. Yeah, right? the brown one. The brown one, which is the same one that we see in the trailer. So yeah. that probably confirms it. Like, that's Luke's hand for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't have, like, that black glove on there no. before. It's a big brown one it's that he's bit... flipping the pages. Yeah, yeah very sure. Kermit-like. For okay, sure. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, this this is great. I Daisy really is just such a cool uh, character, and I can't wait to see more from her in this yeah. film. 
Yeah. And they also had that on-set video from Vanity Fair as well that showed them kind of the behind the scenes taking these photos. And you got a real great vibe from the cast here. They're in the corners laughing. They're yeah. having a good time. It, it just looked like a lot of fun to film. And I hope we get that off of the film as well. You get the chemistry that builds behind the scenes projected onto the scenes that we're seeing while we're sitting in the theater. Yeah, that's right. That's a big thing because going back to Force Awakens, the chemistry is one of the biggest things that stood out to me. Yeah. I found Poe to Finn to Daisy Ridley. Everybody's chemistry just gelled so well and is so believable. Yeah. And I hope that carries on through here with uh, The Last Jedi. Definitely, because that's yeah. one thing when we do our movie reviews that we're always poking at, right? Yeah. Especially when it comes to the Marvel MCU movies yes. and DC movies. is We like the chemistry between people we want it to feel real yeah. like these people actually like each other and actually talking to each other not just reading off a cue card or whatever right so the chemistry is a big thing and i agree with force awakens it was all perfectly executed like everyone felt like it was natural it was organic it felt real i yeah. love that about it and if we get more of that in here all the better for sure so and with star wars Spoilers come in many forms. These ones in Vanity Fair were approved and released by Lucasfilm. You know, Marvel, DC, and Lucasfilm, they all try to keep details of their films quite under wraps. And most of the leaks that usually come out are either through set photos or Lego sets. And more consistently than not, it's Lego sets. And this past week, we had massive reveals from someone that got a hold of some of the boxes for the new Lego sets that are going to be dropping on Force Friday for The Last Jedi. And I'm going to say right here, right now, big time spoiler warning. We're going to discuss a few of the characters and also the ships that we did see. Please jump ahead five or eight minutes. I'm going to timestamp all this so you can jump ahead to the next topic so that we're not spoiling this for you because we're going to be talking about some of the more spoiler heavy things than we have in the past when it comes to the last jedi i think like there's the trailer and then there's this this kind of reveals a few things and we're going to kind of go through that so again fair warning here spoilers <laughs> <laughs> so the lego sets like we usually get some sort of battle depicted on the front of them with some characters and we try to make some leaps as to what the characters together mean and actually what the battle sequences they're showing mean and more often than not i find the characters together Together, the minifigures in particular that we still see in the Lego boxes absolutely mean nothing. Because when we do look at the Krennic ship, I've got this sitting right here, yeah. there's Bodhi, K2SO, Director Krennic, and a few Death Troopers. They didn't have scenes together. And they're in the same Lego set. Right. So there's one caveat there for you. Yes. Characters together in a Lego set don't necessarily mean that they're going to be together or have some sort of story where they interconnect in the film itself. And being that we do have a First Order Star Destroyer announced, there's a Resistance Bomber and a First Order Heavy Assault Walker. So these are the walkers that we do see in the distance in the trailer. We have the B-wings or the B-wing-like nice. things flying towards them. Yeah. We didn't get any images of the Star Destroyer, but that's to be expected. Of course. And Star the Resistance Wars, yeah. Bomber here. So there's no real spoilers when it comes to the ships. Maybe some of the design choices in that. But overall, I'm excited for these just because of the scale. Yes. We're not getting these kind of mini sets that don't display well. How many pieces is this one? They didn't have the pieces on the oh, okay. box. I did look for that, but they're yeah. probably going to be upwards of the, I would say, five to maybe probably even closer to 900 pieces, some of these. Yeah, wow. maybe upwards of 1,000 for the Star Destroyers. So these are big sets. Yeah, because what's the, the credit when you got here? I can't remember. I want to yeah. say like eight to... 800 to 1,000? Wow. I might be incredibly wrong. <laughs> but it's something. They're, they're quite large sets. For sure. And like I said, they're expected to drop on Force Friday. So I'll be picking up a couple yeah, of these catch for us sure. there. We'll be there. 
Um, but the, the biggest spoilers that did come from this was the reveal of the minifigures that are associated with each individual box. Now, some of these characters we knew were coming and they were kind of preempted by this Vanity Fair spread that we did see. So we got Laura Dern's character, but the big one that was revealed here, this is the first one, again, spoilers here, from the First Order Star Destroyer. And this includes six minifigures this set. So we have the First Order Officer, a First Order Shuttle Pilot, First Order Stormtrooper, First Order Stormtrooper Sergeant. So these are mostly new figures. And the last two here, we got BB-9E, which is a black BB-8 unit. I think Making Stars had that as one of their rumors. It's now confirmed. And the big one here, and most notably, Supreme Leader Snoke is included in this set. And we did see him in The Force Awakens. So his appearance, you know, we kind of got something in our heads here. Yeah. But the Lego minifigure does not look anything like what we saw in The Force Awakens. He's wearing a very gold, very bright robe. He does have some of the scarring that matches up to Supreme Leader Snoke's face from The Force Awakens, but he looks a lot more humanoid right. than anything. The size, too, is something that threw me off. Yes. Because when I first saw this, I really didn't look at the names. I just kind of scanned through, yeah. and I didn't pick up at this character as being anything. Right. I didn't realize it was Supreme Leader Snoke when it first dropped, when these leaked images came out. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the change here from what we saw? Someone that we thought was a bit more Plagueis-like. Yeah. Someone that's a bit more humanoid, humanoid and having, you know, maybe something a bit different as far as his look than we yeah. originally anticipated. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I heard uh, maybe a couple months back that there's these rumors that uh, Snoke is going to be, you know, wearing this kind of gold attire yeah. throughout the film. And I thought, well, that, that can't be right. That's just weird because they established this dark looking figure, whatever the case is. So that looks like that's happening. Um, his, the scale of him too. You know, we didn't know if Snoke was actually this giant yeah. or, or not, right? I, I, going into this movie though, we've heard that they're doing more practical with him as opposed to the CGI, which is which is good because the CG was... Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't, it's Andy Circus too. Yeah, exactly. It's Andy Circus. So that's interesting. And the other thing I take from this is maybe Snoke's not the biggest threat then. Like yeah. to see him released here, and I know what you said too, right? With the characters not really meaning anything together, doesn't give away too much. But the fact, of the matter is, just just seeing him on this scale and just how he's kind of easily put in there, yes. he might not be the big factor. You might not be the big big man here. So. It's kind of interesting. Are you getting like a Wizard of Oz type vibe? Like he is yes. the man out in front and someone else is pulling the strings. Pulling the strings. Something even deeper right? than we originally thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He might not be a big deal. <laughs> so we'll see. And the other thing is too is like I don't know if they like knew what they're doing from the beginning with Force Awakens, like the story group. Or is this Ryan Johnson being like, I, JJ, I like what you're doing, but I'm going to do something completely different here and take Snoke somewhere else. You know, like, who was it that made that decision? Did JJ have one vision and Ryan Johnson had a different one? That's what do you think? That's the difficulty with doing movies the way they are. Yeah. With different writers different and directors. different directors. Yeah. yeah, I get that you can have different directors that do different movies. That worked for the original trilogy, right? Yeah. You got three different movies from three different directors, but it was consistently wrote by one person or a group of people Lawrence right. Kasdan and George Lucas right right so they had that that continuity of writing and George Lucas being the grandfather of it all knew exactly where he wanted these characters to go for the most part right he had an end goal right to a degree I will say <laughs> you know I've read a few books that says he kind of was making some stuff up but overall he had some narrative that he wanted to tell a like point a to point c and the way they're doing it here yeah they do have the story group that's controlling things 
but I don't know how much influence they actually have on the direction of this new stuff. Yes. They're, they're, they're there to make sure that the books, the comic books, nothing steps on continuity. They're back-checking and fact-checking to make sure whatever Rain Johnson is doing doesn't step on what Abrams did or anything from before. Right. But you're right. He could have said, eh, I'm not really buying that. It's not the story I want to tell. I want someone that's a bit more regal yeah. as far as the supreme leader. And I want someone that's a bit different. And so, yeah, there's going to be that continuity across right. in character, but maybe not characterization. Yes. Okay. So it's going to be interesting to see how... How this all unfolds because you know when we look at episode nine too, Colin Trevorrow, who mm. came to fame from directing Jurassic, Jurassic World, yeah. he's writing and directing episode, episode nine. nine. So it's another completely different person that's yeah. going into this and taking what someone else did and trying to put their own spin on it. That's right. Because each one of these directors and writers are going to want to do their own thing, tell their own story that fits, yeah, in the context of Star Wars, mm -hmm. but not necessarily exactly what Abrams was picturing when he started putting together Episode 7. That's right. Because, you know, going in the past here, we've already heard a couple things from uh, Ryan Johnson changing stuff from Force Awakens. Yeah. Uh, from Kylo Ren's Scar to, uh, I think, R2 meeting mm -hmm. up with uh, with Luke there. Yeah, instead of, it was supposed to be BB-8. BB-8, right? Yeah. So we've already seen Ryan Johnson kind of put a stamp on things. Yeah. Already. So this one's super me if he uh, kind of decided to change up uh, Supreme Leader Snoke there. Yeah. Who knows? It's, it's well, it's going to be immensely interesting to see yes. how this turns out. And this is probably the biggest spoiler that I've had for this movie. Everything yeah. else, the trailer, and I try to stay away a bit from kind of the bigger stuff that's published as far as set photos and all that. Right. But this one, like, of course, the Lego set. But this this really captured me because this was like a shock to me. Yeah. Like when I see the black BB-8 unit, I'm like, yeah, sure. That makes sense. Right. But when I see this, this is something that just threw me for a loop. Everything else that we see in these Lego sets makes sense. And I have to correct myself. I'm looking at the photo here. I, it's not General Holdo. It's Vice Admiral Holdo. Vice Admiral. Okay. That's Laura Dern's character. Okay. So that's a correction there. That comes from the bomber set, <laughs> which is a pretty cool looking set too. Yeah. Um, and then the last set here that I'm pretty stoked about is this this heavy assault walker. So your ATAT, -AT basically, oh, yeah. but it's bigger than the ATAT -AT, apparently, quite a bit larger. Oh man! And so this is probably going to be this and the Star Destroyer, the two I'm going to grab first day. Uh, the only interesting thing really coming out of this, with the exception of the design of the assault walker, which looks pretty cool, is Ray with a lightsaber in yes. minifigure form, as well as Captain Poe Dameron. So it looks like he's got some sort of promotion at some point. So it's a lot of spoilers here, yeah. but at the end of the day, it looks fantastic what they've got here, these Lego sets. And just looking here at this Assault Walker box, they're trying to recreate somewhat the Hoth battle, it looks like, with Ray running around with a lightsaber yeah. and that. So I don't really fully believe what I'm seeing here. I think it's going to be a little different. This is that battle on that one planet looks like the salt dunes or whatever. Yeah, and we saw like the red kind of smoke yes. coming off. Yes. Cool. Cool. So. Does uh does Poe have a helmet there? That seems to be his thing, the helmet. No, he does no not helmet? have a helmet in this one. He okay. is part of another box and he's wearing kind of the orange jumpsuit. Right. That's in the resistance bomber set. But in this one he's got kind of his jacket, kind of his more Han Solo looking. Yes. <laughs> thing what he's wearing there cool cool but, yeah it's exciting to see these lego sets starting to drop it yeah it is unofficial and lucasfilm has promptly wiped the internet clean of these I had a really hard time finding these <laughs> images just to even talk about yeah so i don't think they particularly like this that this definitely wasn't planned no but at the same time gives a little something to talk about oh, yeah. and it kind of really hypes me up for force friday these oh, lego yeah. sets i usually don't buy them on the first day because they're quite plentiful but this this walker, I might have to jump you can't in. Can't pass by. No, yeah. no, I can't pass it up.
All right, man, well, that, that kind of wraps up our, our Star Wars discussion for this week. How about we jump over to Marvel before we sink into our Wonder Woman talk? Yeah, before we swing over to the DC? Yes, Keep it yes. Marvel for now? Cool. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. We did a review a couple episodes ago, and if you haven't checked that out, please go back and do so. We had a lot of fun putting that together. That's part of our MCU retrospective series where we're going back and revisiting all the MCU movies and integrating the current ones into that discussion as well but this this movie this franchise has has garnered a lot of popularity over the last couple years even to the point where now disney decided to put a ride in disneyland and disney world and this ride took over what used to be the twilight tower of terror this is one of my favorite rides and this is really cool and they've converted this into what is called guardians of the galaxy mission breakout it is the collector's vault or one of his vaults and it kind of takes you through if you've ever been on the ride it kind of, it's going to kind of take you through his vault a bit as you're trying to break out the guardians i guess this thing was immensely popular in its first weekend james gunn tweeted out that there's a five hour wait to get onto this ride what <laughs> yes and it looks like it's a ride that's full of marvel cinematic universe easter eggs as was the collector's vault I guess this is Vault Collector's whatever. Yeah. In Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. And there are two props in particular that got fandom quite excited. One being an Asgardian hammer. Now this hammer has a particular description here, but its look is what really got me, the design. And it looks a lot like Beta Ray's hammer. And the description itself does lend towards that as well. This looks like Stormbreaker. And man... This is incredible to see that they're teasing stuff like this. Like the fans know what this hammer is, or at least fans of Thor. Yes. They know the look. They know that it looks like Stormbreaker. And the fact that James Gunn was maybe the one that teased Beta Ray Bill in the Collector's Vault already in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Right. That, that figure with the red cape yeah. that looked a bit yellow. Yeah. That's something we talked about before. Are we going to see him here in... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, or Thor Ragnarok. Like, this is a character that I'm hoping and wanting to see. Yeah. And now that they're seeing it here, I'm jacked up, man. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's that's incredible. I, I hope it's true. I hope, you know, Volume 3, we get beta rated, you know, because, yeah, everybody's been speculating since Volume 1 there, and now, you know, just to tip it off a little bit more so we get the hammer showing up, yes. which is just so cool. So cool. And then the other piece was... Something that's it's a little less definitive exactly what it is, but the description on it calls it a mysterious artifact. Again, we're we're up in space, up in the galaxy here, so this is the collector that has all of this. But the description says and maybe lends the idea of Atlantis and Namor. So it says this is an object that was found at the bottom of the Terran Ocean, and very little is known about the civilization that created it. So. What this is pointing towards, and when you look at it, it's kind of got this coral reef type feel to it. It looks like it's got some sort of aquatic creatures crawling on it or whatever. It looks like like it's pointing at Namor, which something we talked about in the past. This is, again, something that is tied up with Universal, I believe. Yes. The same sort of kind of rights dispute that they have with Hulk. Right. But again, they can use him in someone else's movie or in a team movie. Or even television, I think, too, right? Potentially, Yeah. 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 So it could just be a tease that someone thought up and been like, this would be really cool to throw in here. Right. But at the same time, are they teasing something down the road? Maybe a phase four? Who knows? Like Namor does have some links to the Fantastic Four. Right, right. So You know, and and with these rides, if they pick off pretty well or pick up pretty well, which clearly they are. I mean, a five-hour wait's huge. What if we, you know, start getting like, 
teasers for next rides to be. Like if you got like an Atlantis ride oh. or, you know, or, or Thor slash uh, Beta Ray Bill ride of some sort going to Asgard on the on the, the Rainbow Bridge, you know, oh, who like be awesome. be awesome. It'd be pretty cool. So, man, Disney just knows how to just milk everything for what it's worth. And I can't wait to see what happens out of this. I, w- I would really like, though, to see if this is a tease for um, the Namor show. Because there's speculation that there might be a TV show. Yeah. Who knows if they're willing to see the success of the IMAX slash Inhumans team up there. We'll just have to wait and see. But yeah. either way, these are all cool little uh, Easter eggs there. Love it. They yeah. always keep us guessing, right? right? They don't just sit with the status quo and produce something that's like, oh, hey, we got this property that everyone likes. We're going to really stick to the, kind of the boundaries we created within that. Right. But they're like, no, we're going to do whatever. We're going to expand this and do something completely different. Oh, yeah, we're going to throw these major Easter eggs for characters that people want to see on the yeah. screen into this ride. Yeah. Like, it's... It's, it's so cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, introducing the general audience to these... these like C-list uh, heroes, yeah. you know, like Beta Ray Bill's not big by any means. No, I would say the average person has no idea who Beta no Ray idea. Bill is. No idea, right? So it's just crazy what they're doing there with the marketing tools and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. And as we jump from the Marvel Cinematic Universe over to Sony's universe. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked a lot last week about Tom Hardy being cast as Venom, about this movie coming out and not really connecting into the MCU, maybe in the absence of Spider-Man even. But Marvel Comics is doing something very similar. They announced recently an event that's going to be taking place here, I believe, in September. It's the Venomverse. Yes. Which, when I first read it, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I thought someone was poking fun at, at the Spideyverse. Oh, a Sony. Oh, yeah. okay. I, okay, right. And But it's real. Yep. So it looks like we're getting Eddie Brock coming back into the fold at some point here. Yeah. And it's kind of paralleling or mirroring the Spider-Verse that happened a year or so ago, right? Yeah, I would, I'd imagine so. You know, I did read the first uh, five issues of the, the recent issues of Venom because they yep. brought back the character. He left uh, Flash Thompson. Yeah. Uh, they had some villain guy kind of take the mantle of Venom. He is pretty boring. But at the end, issue six, we do see Eddie Brock get the symbiote back. So I haven't kept up to that since, but Eddie Brock is back in the mix of Venom, and yeah, I'm not too sure how they're going to pull together this Venom verse because with Spider-Man is different. Spider-Man has like these basically these these vampire-like figures that have been chasing these Spider-Man totems from all different universes. Okay. And Venom's never had that. He's just always had these symbiotes upon symbiotes, right? So I'm curious to know how they're going to pull this off. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because there was some images of a symbiote Hulk, symbiote Old Man Logan, yeah. symbiote Gwenpool. So I don't know if they're going to be playing on different universes yeah. or if they're going to have that planet that we did see in Guardians yeah. that's full of symbiotes. So, yeah, it's which purified the symbiote, Exactly. Yeah. It took kind of that element of evil out of it. Right. And so I don't know if they're going to factor that in because they're bringing in some sort of alien race that is going to be, I don't know if it's hunting the symbiote. But there's going to be like this oh, new antagonist coming in. So that's kind of similar yeah. than like the Spideyverse. I, I just feel like that with the Venom stuff, we kind of had a big haul of it in the 90s. Like yeah. everything was like symbiote, symbiote, symbiote. I think even the Mighty Avengers way back in like the 2003 run or so, we saw them take on like symbionts. Yeah. So that's like the spawn and all that. That's kind of that like yeah. horror element. Yes. And apparently going to be playing a bit off of that in this comic book. Right. And that's probably what the movie is going to reflect a little too. Right. So yeah. kind of, again, something a little different. But it just seems really oddly timed that this comic book event is dropping around the same time we're getting all this news about Venom and the potential for him to create his own universe. And even with that, kind of jumping off a bit from this Venom universe and, and putting it into the Sony kind of Marvel universe, there was an announcement that they're going to be doing a silver and black film. It's yeah. apparently got a director attached to it. 
Um, and it's going to focus in on Black Cat and Silver Sable. Now, these are characters I really have no familiarity with. Yeah. Um, can you enlighten me a bit as to what Fox is doing here? Yeah, or Sony. Sony. Yeah. I keep saying Fox. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, um, I feel Black Cat's always been, at least in my opinion, she's been more successful um, on the TV shows, like the yeah. cartoon series, as opposed to the comics. She's been having a hard push since the all-new, all-different. She's actually become like a villain. Yeah. More so now, she has a big vendetta against Spider-Man slash superior Spider-Man, really. Um, so I don't really know what they're going to do with her. Silver Sabre was... Silver, Silver Sable was believed to be dead uh, back in Spider-Man when time runs out, but they just recently brought her back during the clone conspiracy. Okay. I think they're both kind of just whatever characters. <laughs> I, I, I've always felt Black Cat's kind of the poor man cat woman. Yeah. You know, in, in a way. And Silver Sable is like this kind of agent. She, she's okay. But to see a movie around those two just doesn't do it for me. The biggest kicker is, though, you, you're bringing in all these characters, but there's no Spider-Man. And yeah. these characters all work well and bounce well off of Spider-Man. So. Yeah. I don't know about that. I, I I I think they're saying there's no Spider-Man, but I think we are going to get a Spider-Man. Like we'd have some to see some version. kind of some like, kind what of version. Like a Spider-Woman, because there's rumors that Jessica Drew could be showing up in this. That's right too. That's right yeah. too. So we we could get that, or even a Spider-Gwen. But yeah. then it's just such an alternate reality. Yeah, they're it, taking some pretty big liberties there yeah. and changing up uh, the status quo of everyone quite a bit. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be tough. But the, the problem, I think, with a lot of this is that if they start using characters, again, another one that's rumored to be in here is Craven the Hunter. Yeah. If they start using them in this universe, it's going to be a lot harder for Marvel if they want to use character like Craven or someone right. different than we've seen before, not the lizard or the goblin or whatever. Right. They're kind of going to be fighting over who can put this character onto screen first. Right. And I don't want that to happen. I want the Spider-Man in the MCU to have the availability to go down any path that they want to tease a villain to, yeah. to do something different than we've seen before. Right. But if Sony's putting them out in this Venomverse or whatever it's going to be the year or two before, people are going to be like, oh, you're copying. This yeah. is confusing. It's now confusing. we have two Cravens. And, it's confusing. Because yeah. we even had it with uh, Fox's uh, Quicksilver. Uh, yeah, Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Yeah. And then Avengers Quicksilver. And honestly, Fox did do the better job. Mm -hmm. But it still was kind of a little confusing. Not for us because yeah. we know what's going on. But the general audience was even like, wait, so they're tied now? So I just feel like they should kind of stay away from that. If they want to do a Venom movie really bad, then just do the Venom, but don't bother bringing in Silver Sable or Hammerhead or Black Cat or any of that yeah. kind of stuff. Just, yeah. I don't know, man. This yeah. this is a universe that I definitely am not excited for. Yeah, I don't know. I like, mean, Tom I mentioned Hardy, it, fine, but that's that has my interest. That has my interest. And like I said before, I didn't like Amazing Spider-Man two, but if they figured out some way to kind of tie the tissues from that together, and no. that Peter Parker died bring in Miles Morales, then hey, that, that'd be kind of cool. That would change the game for yeah. me. A Miles Morales-led Spider-Man universe, for sure. I could buy into that. Absolutely. I don't want to see a Venom, Eddie Brock-led. I don't I don't really want that. No. But if you all of a sudden say Miles Morales is coming in his black and red suit, right. I'm there. Oh, man. Why, why, have, why are they doing that? I know. We're getting the animated movie, yeah. but I just jump right into the you know cinematic. Because that's what I thought the MCU was going to do in the first yeah, place. Yeah. Kind of just separate themselves out from people. I'm glad they didn't because I yeah, like what we got. Tom Holland's killing yeah. it. Yeah. So I... We'll have to wait and see. 2018, definitely. right? Yes, yeah. 2018. Well, a movie that we're not going to have to wait too long to see, and we're actually here to discuss... A bit of kind of the key things that we think you should know before going into it is Wonder Woman. This movie is dropping in a day. You know, we're sitting, we're recording a little late here. Yeah. And our episode is dropping on Thursday, the same day that Wonder Woman is dropping. I looked at my calendar late last week and I said, oh, Wonder Woman's coming out soon. Oh, Wonder Woman's coming out next week. 
we should probably do our prelude to Wonder Woman episode <laughs> next <Yes>. week. <laughs> and that's why we're here to discuss Wonder Woman. And, you know, this movie, when it was first announced, it's coming off the back end of Batman vs. Superman. The reception was positive enough. Yeah. Towards her character, Towards her character. Yeah. She was one of the brighter spots in yeah. that movie, I'd have to say. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. But there's a lot of riding on this film, both from fandom's perspective and DC's cinematic universe perspective. Yeah. This is our last chance before Justice League to do something that is well-received by fandom, by critics, by the average moviegoer. Yeah. And that's a lot to put on a movie, yeah. especially a movie that they're going to be telling an origin story yeah. in. Kind of like Iron Man, really. Yeah. They, they did everything they could with Iron Man. That was their last hope. Yeah. Yep. And for this discussion, we're not going to go too deep into the weeds here. I think we'll leave a lot of that for next week when we do have Sanjay at the yes. table, our in-house Wonder Woman expert. But what I wanted to do here was explore a bit of some of the characters we've seen in the trailers and some of the kind of main storylines that we think are going to pop up here or crop up here. Because one of the things that I find going into movies when you don't have that familiarity with a character, with her universe, is that you find yourself trying to connect a lot of the dots. And I think that's one thing with these cohesive universes that you tend to do. So you kind of pull yourself out of the movie for a little bit and you sit there thinking, well, what does that mean for Batman versus Superman? What is that character? How is that relevant to the story? Yes. As a comic book fan, you have a tendency to do that, right? Because as you're even reading comic books, you're seeing links and pieces and Easter eggs and callbacks. And sometimes you have to stop and think, but when you're watching a movie, you don't have that ability to do that. Yeah. So we wanted to introduce some of those concepts here and kind of discuss a bit through them, you know, from the high end of Themyscira right down to the Lasso of Truth type thing. So that you guys had a bit of a feel for what's going to be happening in the movie and you kind of connect those pieces prior to going in and you kind of enjoy that, that cinematic experience a bit more. So like I said there at the top, this is going to be the second appearance of Wonder Woman on the big screen, her first being in Batman vs. Superman. And one of the key things to keep in mind, I think, with this movie is that it's not a natural sequel to Batman vs. Superman. It's more of a prequel. It's DC's first origin story since Man of Steel. So it's been quite a while. That came out in 2012? 13. 13? <laughs> yeah. So it's been a while since they've done an origin story, and DC fans... Those of you who don't hate me already, <laughs> don't hate me for the parallels I'm going to draw here. Because I'm going to draw a few parallels to the MCU. And I think I'm, I'm doing this in a good way. Right. And I think this is a good way for people to kind of maybe wrap their heads around exactly what they're going to see here. So from an overall basic narrative sense, and to put it in really the context that for more for me that I understand... My expectation is this this movie is going to be more of a Captain America First Avenger and Thor hybrid. Right. Where we're getting an origin story grounded in historical events with some sort of element of ancient human mythology kind of weaved in there. And really focusing in on a character that is an individual and is kind of this fish out of water type character where we have we're taking someone like thor and putting him in what would be considered the modern world at the time and they're playing to this fish out of water she doesn't know what's going on so it's a lot of those elements that we do see in those two movies are going to be combined here and leveraged into telling this origin story for wonder woman yeah C kind of like i don't really want to say this but kind of like a dumbed down version of what man of steel should have been and i love man of steel that's my favorite yeah. but a lot of people's complaint is the fact that you know it didn't feel like superman but i feel like wonder woman here is gonna do exactly what that um what the audience wanted yeah. from that movie i feel like looking at this you take all of those those concepts and 
I, I know they're MCU concepts or whatever, but you take those, you, you put this very strong, empowered woman in this lead role, and then you produce what looks like it's going to be a good movie. It's going to feel more like a comic book movie than Man right. of Steel did. Yeah. Man of Steel didn't, at least until the end, when they got kind of punching each other, yeah. it didn't feel like a comic book movie. It felt really. pretty grounded. Oh, it yeah. kind of felt like it could connect to the Christopher Nolan. That's kind universe. of more what they're going for. Yeah. But here they seem to be taking more of those comic book liberties yes. and really going for it. While also telling a much bigger story that kind of involves mythology and World War One, yeah. and eventually connecting into the Justice League to some degree. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how all of that falls onto the screen. Because... When you look at the early reception, we talked a little bit about the positive reviews before the embargo was lifted last week. Well, now the embargo's lift, and this movie is popping off. As of this recording, it's got a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is far better than the 27% that Beaver's S had going into that movie that first weekend. Probably a lot better, too, than Suicide Squad. I yeah, imagine. I think Suicide Squad, yeah, it was yeah, pretty low as well. Right. But there's a ton of praise being dumped on this. Like when you look at this, even on Rotten Tomatoes, I know I always say I don't use this as kind of my determining factor. It's more of a proxy of how people are feeling. It's kind of taking the temperature of the critics prior to going into the movie. And this is going to fall in the 90 plus percent range. There's enough critics that had given scores already at 97%. This is going to fall and be rated one of the best comic book movies on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty incredible when you think about what came before it. Yeah. And there's a lot of praise being given to Gal Gadot, to Patty Jenkins, and to what this film does for the DC Cinematic Universe. It is that jumping on point that people were looking for, which really, really excites me. I know I've been really hard on the DC Universe or DC Cinematic Universe over the past year or two, but if they produce something good here, my tone is going to change somewhat dramatically. I'm still going to kick them around. (laughs) But at the same time, if they give me something here, it's something that I want... I think it's going to be a big turning point for this universe. For sure, you know, and it'll, and going forward too, we'll kind of maybe have, you know, like I mentioned before with the Guardians of the Galaxy effect and also the uh, Winter Soldier effect when it it's so good that it makes you go back to say BVS if it's even possible and makes you appreciate that much more the performance that, that Gal Gadot gave you yeah. or her moments. And you know, you you might even appreciate her more so in Justice League, which I'm not really looking forward to, but hopefully this movie here does that for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, going into this, we always like to do our box office predictions as well. And, you know, given that this is getting a high praise, what are you going to put on this for your prediction? Ooh, I definitely think it's going to pass 100. Oh, you think so, eh? I think so. I'm going to go 105. Okay. I'm going to go 105. It's, it's, it has a really good positive word of mouth right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the positive buzz is going to give it that bump. Yeah. My fear here with this is it's not going to have an Avengers-style bump coming off the back of Batman vs. Superman. Right. I think, if anything, people are going to be more skeptical of the character. Yeah. The positive word of mouth is going to definitely give it a good 10 to $15 million bump. Yes. I'm going to put mine here at a modest $70 million. Ooh, 70 Yes. Whoa. I've traditionally way overshot my predictions. Oh, okay. From so, beforehand. From beforehand with right. every movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to go on the lower end here. And this puts it kind of in that range of Thor, Captain America, Ant-Man, Ant-Man yeah. Doctor Strange type realm. Right. Which I think this is how it's going to perform. Right. Um, you might get into that 75 to $80 million mark. Yeah. If this gets really hyped up over the Friday as people start to see this and as the Twitter buzz picks up and all that. Yeah. But I'm saying 70 right now. I asked Sanjay to throw his in as well and he cool. says 100 million. 100 million? Yeah. Okay. So you all guys right. are sitting kind of at what close. I think would be considered the top end. This thing's yeah. going to do 
a hundred plus million globally. Oh yeah. Easy. Um, I'm not sure if it's opening in China or what have you, but it looks like it's going to turn a decent profit at least, at least this first opening weekend. This is more what this movie needs. It needs a solid opening weekend and it needs to put together a foundation that the rest of the universe can springboard off of. Right. If it can accomplish both of those, I think this movie is by far the big winner, at least of the early year. Oh, for uh, for all the superheroes? Yeah, I think just if it can, maybe not profitability, oh, okay. or even maybe not overall like ranking. Right. But I think if it can solidify a foundation and also turn a profit mm-hmm. and get that fan and critical reception, I think it kind of takes the cake. Like that's accomplishing a bit more than what we expected at a Guardians because it's a really good movie. We knew it was right. going to be a good movie. We knew it was going to perform. Yeah. And yes, it did elevate those characters, but Wonder Woman's got a lot more to gain and had a lot more to lose. Yes. If it, if it fails, like if Guardians was mediocre say like an age of Ultron, yeah. I'm not saying that movie's mediocre, but in comparison, it didn't have that much to lose. It's still going to get a sequel. It was still going to do a hundred and whatever million dollars in his opening weekend. It's still going to do $300 million. Like no matter what you really did there, they yeah. have that brand. But this movie, this has the potential to fall to pieces. Right, it does. And so there's a lot more to gain from being positive here than a Guardians has to gain or Thor has to gain from right. producing a really good movie. That's yeah. kind of what I'm saying. I get that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there's our box office prediction. Let's, let's jump into a little bit of the history of Wonder Woman. Like I said, I'm kind of learning this as I go to. I'm not completely familiar with her history, her backstory, all the different iterations that she's gone through. We're going to leave that to Sanjay <laughs> to describe just exactly what they pulled from the comic books. But a few things I want to highlight here that I thought were really interesting about the character is that she's been a comic book icon for over 75 years, which is crazy. She made her first debut in All-Star Comics issue number eight in 1941. Yeah, before she's DC. Yeah. Because she wasn't even DC yet. Yeah. yeah. And she quickly got her first comic book cover on to Sensational Comics number one in 1942. And this was created by William Moulton Marston. So this guy was a pretty cool guy, actually. He was an, invent- an inventor, a writer. Like, he did a lot of really cool things yeah. in that era of, of World War II, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He, he liked a lot of uh, freaky things, too. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Bondage and such. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it all right there yeah, with she, Wonder Woman. He doesn't <laughs> seem to have this prowess that, like, you know, your Jack King Kirby's and Stan Lee's and yeah. um, whoever created Batman. Um Oh, Bill Finger. Bill Finger, yeah. 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 It doesn't, you don't see his name thrown around amongst them, even though he created one of the greatest and longest-standing comic book heroes of all time. Yes, 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 that's right. And I said Bill Finger because it is Bob Kane and Bill Finger, but I say Bill Finger because Bill Finger really created him, and they just now started giving that guy his due. So that's why I say Bill Finger. There you go. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> She's also a founding member of the Justice League. Yes. Which is also a really cool thing. Like Huge. You don't see, even in the first iteration of Avengers, yeah, you do have the Wasp. But the fact that she forms kind of this, the Trinity, right? Right. Like that back in the day, that's something that was a little different, right? And the, the creator, he was kind of this early feminist, right? Like he, he inserted that and kind of bucked this trend of damsel in distress for a woman and kind of created this empowered woman and a figure for justice. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that... Even back then, this was something that was being done. Her history, I think, is filled with just turning left when most people want you to turn right. Right. And I think that's a lot of what this character is, is that she represents so much. Not only for for women as being a symbol of strength, an icon for feminism. She's one of these true heroes over the last seven decades that really has no equal, I, I think. No. Like amongst comic book lore. 
Like, there's no one that can stand toe-to-toe with Wonder Woman. Like, no. you even overlooking Marvel. There's, there's, there's Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel, but even and, still. But to have that that stature, yeah. Wonder Woman stands alone there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She-Hulk, She-Hulk and Captain Marvel have, like, nothing on her. No. No, they really don't. <laughs> and the interesting thing about this character, too, is that, you know, she represents so much inside of the comic book world. But creators have always kind of struggled to bring her to the silver screen. There were the few adaptations in the 1970s. We had three seasons of Linda Carter's Wonder Woman that was quite highly praised at the time. This is something that people really favored. Um, There were a few attempts in the early days to get her back on a TV when Smallville ended. Yeah. Um, Joss 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 Whedon Whedon wrote a script to try to get her on to the big screen. Right. And it isn't really until Beaver's S that we get her first on-screen appearance, which you look at this, that was 75 years it took this character to get to film. We got a Catwoman movie. We got an Electra movie. We got got an Emoji movie coming up in like two years from when the Emojis came out. That's crazy. So it took that long to get one on the screen. Yeah. What do you think the reason for that is? If you had to throw something out there, like why is she hard to adapt to film? Yeah, well, I think for one thing, as of late, um, Electra movie, the Catwoman movie, those things put a bad stench in the air mm-hmm. for, for female superhero movies, unfortunately. So I think they've had a hard time, you know, filling, putting butts in the seats watching these these female movies. But now we've had things like we've had Daisy Ridley in Force Awakens. Yeah. We've had Katniss in Hunger yeah. Games, um, the Alien franchise, all these these cool Jane Princess Urso. Leia herself, Jane Urso, like all these cool and powerful women, you know, just kicking ass in the theaters. And and now more than ever is like the right time for Wonder Woman to come out yeah. and just and just hold it down. So it's been a battle and I and I hope, you know, going forward this opens the doors even more so for other characters, which we you know, we already do have the um the Captain Marvel movie coming yeah. up too. And and then they've even talked about uh, the Harley Quinn, Gotham Sirens coming out as well. And we did have her previously in Suicide Squad, which wasn't so good. (laughs) But um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this has a potential to do a lot for this genre or this type of film. I don't like kind of pigeonholing this as being a female-led superhero yeah. film. I want this just to be a superhero film. I don't yes. want to distinguish the difference between this is a female-led right. and, a, and a male-led. I don't think we need that distinction. No. Like, I, it just shouldn't be like that. No. And I think we're concentrating on it a bit here because it is the first of its kind. But I'm hoping with this movie and subsequent movies that they just become comic book movies again. of course yeah we don't need to have that that line in the sand that says you know this is one of them this is the female-led superheroes yeah. this is the avengers male whatever we don't need that yeah because we don't have it with star wars we don't no. have like the female episode exactly. seven you know what i mean yeah. we don't, it just doesn't happen it doesn't exist no yeah so let's look a little bit into wonder woman's background her origin story we've talked about this a bit yeah. and sanjay's kind of gone through this on various episodes but it's, it's changed quite a bit through time in the last 75 years. As, as you do, you update, you modernize some of these origin stories. Because you go back and look at her original origin story. It is confusing. She right. was molded out of, of clay. clay. Yeah. And then her powers were given to her by gods. Yeah. And then when we move into more of the modern day, which is, I think, what the movie's going to play from a bit into this new 52. Yes. They updated her origin story to being more of a demigod where she is the natural-born daughter of Zeus, Zeus and Hippolyta. Yeah. Hippolyta? Hippolyta? Yeah. I don't know. This, I'm going to screw all those up throughout this whole episode, so 
<laughs> Bear with <laughs> Excuse us. Excuse <laughs> me. Yeah. So I, I like this this new origin story. I like playing off of the Greek mythology. I think this whole clay thing and an island of souls from women that were killed by men and one pure soul was left as a natural born child. Right. Like that's kind of the original origin. So yeah. it's immensely confusing. You don't need to do that. We have enough idea from different Greek mythology, Norse mythology. Like we know what's kind of going on when you mention Zeus and Ares and all these type characters. Right. I think people can wrap their heads around that a bit better than something a bit more abstract, like molding something out of clay. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Goofy. <laughs> yeah. And then you then you look at kind of how she's introduced even into the modern world. So Themyscira is, I guess, a protected island of sorts. Man does not know it's there. They've retreated potentially after some larger war that we might see at the start of this movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, in into kind of hiding almost. And then we have this this man steve trevor being played by chris pine who just crashes ship and this is directly out of her original origin and then there's contest held to see who gets to take steve trevor back to man's world and this is something that sanjay has been adamant needs to be in the film this competition to demonstrate that wonder woman is better than everyone else better than all the rest of the amazons he thinks that's crucial to developing this character and kind of elevating her to this level of wonder woman warrior princess type right right yeah so, no i i i guess so it seems like a strong point in her history right her origin yeah and it, it yeah. harkens right back to the original comic book so there is and i think in the updated that she's more of an ambassador to the themiscira right that comes out so like atlantis and themiscira recognized nations or whatever and she's more of an ambassador that comes out to help bring peace to man's world okay so it's it's kind of i think they're going to be melding a bit of this together uh, but more so taking the modern zeus type origin and combining that with the original origin of how she ends up in man's world ends up being this fish out of water for sure for sure because even going back to bbs when uh lex luther is giving that speech and we see the sword and he explains that's yeah. the sword of zeus and she gives it a funny kind of look so we already know they're making that connection at least exactly yeah exactly and we talked a bit about the amazons here i think most people know through greek mythology who the amazons are they're they're basically a tribe of warrior women yeah. very powerful women that reside on the island of themiscira this is more or less their home base. It's a paradise island. Mm -hmm. And it looks like, at least from the movie, that they're going to take a lot of liberties with the color palette here, which I really love. Yeah, it's it's well needed in yes. this universe. Yeah. yeah, they're going to show how beautiful and why this is considered the paradise island. Right. And then on Themyscira, we do have a couple of characters. I'm going to butcher all of these names, just a pre-warning to those that are very <laughs> passionate about the Greek mythology or the Wonder Woman lore. Apolta is her mother. So she is the queen of the Amazon. She's being played by Connie Nielsen. She's the one in the comic books that does set up the competition for the Amazons to take part in that eventually leads to them taking Steve Trevor back to man's world. There's also a character in here that's being played by Robin Wright. So she is of House of Card fame. Oh, yeah. Uh, General Antope, I think, maybe. <laughs> so she's the sister of the queen and aunt to wonder woman okay so she's gonna be playing quite a big part in this i think she's gonna be more of the one that trains wonder woman for battle nice so she's gonna maybe have more of an emotional relationship more of a personal relationship with her mother and more of this militaristic training relationship with her aunt in this i think awesome. that's gonna be a cool juxtaposition of characters there you're gonna see how both of these characters essentially raise 
Wonder Woman, Diana, yeah. through the complete different methodologies. Like I think that's going to be a really neat thing to explore in this movie. For sure. And, and you know, the, 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 the actress from House of Cards, she's yeah. such a ba- she is such a badass. So oh, yeah. To see what she brings. Oh, and the fact that, that she's playing in that role excites me because it's more of that stoic, stone-faced yes, training. Yes, she has that all relentless. going on. Yeah, that is exactly who she is in House of Cards. Right, right. And I can see a lot of it. Like I don't know if they're going to go down the path of her trying to take the, the throne Right. from the queen or if they're going to actually get into a bit more of the politics of Themyscira or if it's just going to be more of a jumping off point in the movie. Right. So I'd like to see a little more. I like the idea of Themyscira because when you look back at when we reviewed Thor, we talked a lot about Asgard and the importance of that and spending time on Asgard to establish the character. Yes. I'm wondering if we can get that same vibe from this movie is that we wish we had spent more time in Themyscira exploring some of the aspects of the Amazonians and, and her origin instead of kind of jumping right from that into World War One, a different era where we get a completely different kind of tone of movie. Right. Well, it'll definitely be a lot more feasible and affordable for these guys to pull that yeah. off as opposed to uh, the uh, the Asgard. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Wonder Woman here. So she's also goes by the name Diana. Yes. Uh, we saw that in Batman vs. Superman. She has super strength, durability, speed, healing, and the ability to fly. Yes, not always, but she does sometimes. Sometimes, right. so yeah. this that's from the comic books, right? What right. sort of aspects do you think they're going to be picking up here, both from Wonder Woman and the Amazonians? Do, are they going to go down a path that they went with Thor and the Asgardians? Is essentially that they are gods when you compare them to man, but not really when you compare them kind of to the larger galaxy. See what I mean there? Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're actually going to play where they kind of try to meld the elements of mythology into something that's a bit more real. Right. I, I think I think they'll go that route, except obviously Diana will stand out more so from mm-hmm. the pack because she'll have the blood of Zeus because not the other uh, Amazons will have that. So basically, yeah, I think they'll be stronger than your than, than the men or, or your, your humans, but they'll be weaker than basically anything yeah. outside of Earth. Yeah, I, I, I always do wish they went back with that theory. There was a, a Superman, Man of Steel comic that came out. And we basically saw that um, Supergirl got to Earth first, right? Yeah. So she had that open kind of canister or open kind of pod from Man of Steel. So there was that rumor going around that maybe she started the Amazons because she got there like cool. 2,000 years before. Yeah. That would have been pretty cool. Who knows? Maybe they'll go that route. Maybe not. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And then she also has some some key weapons, and she is packing in this movie. Yeah. So she's got the lasso of truth, the, these gauntlets that she wears, yeah. the tiara, the shields, and the sword. Right. And so the lasso of truth, it looks like it's going to have a big part in this film. We've seen a lot of it in the trailers. And essentially, it's a lasso, a piece of rope, yeah. that can force anyone that it's holding to tell the truth. Right. Are they going to go down that path, or is it going to be more of a weapon? Do you think? I think they have to play it off more as a weapon. Yeah, I agree. Especially if they're going to use it a lot as much as, they, as we think they will in this mm. film. Because that would just get a little weird, a little hokey. Well, if she used it a lot as a weapon and then all of a sudden a scene, she wraps around and then some guy confesses, yeah. that becomes a, a power or a weapon of convenience, I think. It's, yeah. it's a plot point more than anything. For sure, for so sure. I think they need to stay away from that. I'd like if they stay away from that. I don't really think they need that. Yeah. They could play it more that she uses her strength and power and intelligence yeah. to Intimidate get something them. yeah intimidation yeah. more so than anything yeah to yeah get it out of it and these these gauntlets we've seen her blocking bullets in the trailers from them classic um, they're bulletproof I think she's able to clap them together right and yeah. create kind of like a sonic boom for sure I think yeah. we did see that in Batman vs Superman we did see that I yeah. think yeah so and then she's got a shield again 
Yeah. Similar to Cap. Yeah, similar. similar yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad looking shield. Yeah. <laughs> what about the invisible jet? Are we going to see that in this film? I've seen it in the trailer a couple times already. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna see that. No, no, <laughs> but no, you never know. Not. It'd be weird if we're no. just sitting there. Yeah, that that be. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll play with it in um, Justice League. Like she'll be riding with Batman, and Batman will put on like the stealth mode, and then you yeah. can maybe be like, hey, that's a wink at the uh, the invisible jet. I don't know, but I don't want to see that. No, me neither. No. I'm cool without that. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the sporting characters here. We have Steve Trevor. We spoke a bit about him a little early. He's being played by Chris Pine. Yeah. Um, he made his first appearance alongside Wonder Woman in All-Star Comics number eight. He's been a player in her universe for the last 75 years. Yeah. Sometimes he is a love interest, but he's really the catalyst in the comic books and in this film that moves her from Themyscira into Man's World. I'm going to keep saying Man's World in quotes because I know it's not Man's World, but just referring to that because I think that's how they refer to it in the film. Right. But like I said, he, he's the catalyst. He's the, the one that moves the narrative forward from Themyscira into World War One. He's played by Chris Pine. Fantastic actor. I really love this guy. Yep. This character looks pretty cool. But as far as a sporting character, I think he's, for me at least, he seems like he's being more of a, of a plot point and a driver of the narrative more than anything. Right. Yeah, basically like your Lois Lane from My Man is Still There. They may even play a little bit this inverse damsel in distress where he continues to get himself into trouble right. and she continues to have to go and rescue him. So that'd be kind of a cool play, just something a little like different than yeah. we've seen in some of these movies before. But when you look at a lot of the more modern comic book movies, there's not a lot of this love interest thing really weaved into it. We see a little bit in Iron Man, a little bit in Thor, right? and they tend to be some of the weaker points of it with the exception of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yes, yes, that's right. That's, that comes down to chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the few bright spots of that movie. That really was, yeah. But I don't think we need an over-the-top love story here. I think it's cool to reference it and kind of tease it a bit right. because that is part of the comic book origin. But we don't need this long, drawn-out love story where they're kind of yearning for it. This yeah. Thor, yeah, oh, Jane, or Foster type Yeah, thing. we don't need it. Stay no. far, far away from that one. Yeah. Let Wonder Woman just do her thing without having to be tied down to somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Literally. Bondage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then the sporting character here is Etta Candy. She did make her first appearance in one of those initial sensational comic books in 1942. She is being played by Lucy Davis. In this film, she is more of a secretary to Chris Pine's Steve Trevor. In the comic book, she's kind of Wonder Woman's best friend, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Confidant. Yeah. Um, she seems to be the one that's going to be linking her to the modern world or world war one times 1914 through 1918 right so she's gonna be kind of that that modern day connection point i right. think and the cosmic relief i'd say yeah at this definitely point. yeah yeah i think between her and and chris pine that's where you're gonna see most of the comedy it looks like gal gadot's gonna play this somewhat more stone face but yeah. i think that's okay yeah she may have a few lines here and there right especially because i think people are still kind of shaky on her acting chops I and mean, yeah. we'll, we'll have to see yeah yeah the praise coming out says she's done a good job nice. so hopefully nice. that that stands right and one of the key things always with comic book movies is the villains and how they factor into all this. And it looks like we're getting at least two to three villains here. One being Dr. Poison, who is one of the more classical Wonder Woman villains. She was a Nazi spy, but because we're into kind of World War One, looks like she's going to be a bit more of a German spy. And because of the prevalence of chemical weapons in World War One, I, I think that's how they're going to draw this character in. She has some at least fascination with chemical weapons developing the mustard gas all these type of things so it seems to be an appropriate villain to be sticking in there some sort of side villain i don't know if it's going to be 
you know how they usually pair up. Maybe it's going to be Steve Trevor's villain that he beats up or there's something there. But it's kind of cool. They have kind of a side villain that's acting as a lieutenant to Danny Houston's character, which is a general in the German army Mm -hmm. who's very ambitious. He's out there to kind of kill. And that seems to be, at least they've teased that as being the main antagonist in the film. Right. Um, But we did have, and again, spoilers here. If you have been listening to this, it's probably already been spoiled. But... (laughs) Looks like the main villain here is going to be Ares, yes. god of war. This is, I guess, her half brother. Because he's uh, the son of Zeus. Yeah. At least no. in Greek mythology. Shoot. I thought he was the son of Zeus, which would make him a half brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Ares is. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of feeds off the, the man at war. And yeah. so he could be the one that's behind kind of the war to end all wars. Right. As World War One is portrayed. So that all makes sense. These these characters, these villains, they, they seem to make sense in this universe. I like what they're doing here, at least from what I'm seeing from the periphery. Yeah. Yeah. No, Ares, um, I, I, the, the Ares I'm familiar with is the New 52 yeah. uh, take, and he's completely different, at least uh, physically looking-wise. He's yeah. a lot different than what we have in the pre-New 52. But I think in this movie, they're going with the classic, like, you know, before Flashpoint, Ares, like the muscular, yeah. you know, Spartan helmet kind of guy. As opposed to like the old man. Cool. Yeah. I can buy on that as long as the CG is okay. Yeah. Let's hope they learned. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, so that, that kind of wraps a bit up of some of the things that I think will help as far as your viewing experience. At least kind of introduce you some of the concepts that you're going to see in this movie. Yep. Uh, we stated that the setting is going to be Themyscira, World War One, and probably modern day. Yeah. At least some point. A little yeah. bit of kind of a teaser towards the end. Similar fashion to what they did in Captain America, the first Avenger. Right, because I'm pretty sure we already know that Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Ben Affleck, is in yeah, this film. Yeah, I'm sure pretty, he has pretty sure they some said sort that of somewhere. cameo. Yeah. Like a, like a Sam Jackson, Nick Fury type. Yeah, Colson, because right? he's been in all the other movies, yeah, exactly. including Suicide Squad. Yeah, Exactly. So when we look at her future here, so we know we're going to end up in modern day somehow. There's got to be some nods to Batman versus Superman, and they have to tie a little bit into the Justice League, because this is the last movie coming before we get the big team up right and again i'm sorry to keep drawing parallels to captain america but it's in the same fashion that we've got captain america right yeah the MacGuffin and captain america and the villain from thor when you take both of those movies right. that, I, that i liken to this are both in avengers yes so that sets a lot up so i'm curious if if we're going to get something a bit bigger in this movie that points towards justice league and yes batman vs superman teased a lot of the the parademons and the coming of What's his name? Uh, uh, oh, Dark Side. Uh, Dark Side there, Dark Seed, whichever way you want to say it. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think in this movie we're going to get something that points towards Justice League, or is it going to be more of a nod? I think it'll be kind of a nod. Yeah. I, you know, we have a good chance of even seeing uh, some Atlanteans. Yeah. You know, we could see Arthur Curry, or not Arthur Curry himself, but his people because yeah. they go back. But um, I think I don't think they'll beat us over the head with it. I think they're really learning lessons from previous yes. movies like GVS because they really forced is a lot of setup in that film, especially yeah. all thrown at once Definitely. together there. So yeah, I think I'll just be kind of light taking there for the setup for the next film. Yeah. Justice League. So we have to end probably on a bit more of a down note because when you look at her quote from Batman vs Superman, they walked away from mankind from a century of horrors. Men made a world where standing together was impossible. This right. is a quote. I might be paraphrasing a bit from Batman vs Superman. So we know she left man's world. Right. And this is probably the point at which she does that. And it's going to be interesting to see if they kind of bridge that gap between right. her leaving and in an after credit scene or something her coming back. And what's the reason the catalyst for her coming back? 
to man's world. Yeah, I'm excited to see that part, actually. Yeah, I'm excited to see really that go cool down there. See. Yeah. All in all, I'm pretty excited for this. I'm pretty jacked up. I had a lot of fun actually going back and doing some research for this because I learned a lot about Wonder Woman. I feel like this is going to help with me watching this movie. Yes. And looking at these characters, I'm excited to see some of them. And I really, really want this. As much as I've kicked around DC in the past, I really want this to be successful. Yeah, I want it to be a huge hit for DC. I really do. And I, I really do recommend going out there and picking up uh, the new 52 early runs, I think, from volume one to six or seven of Wonder Woman. The art's fantastic. The story's great. Um, you also get introduced to some new gods in there, like Oron and some other cool Greek mythology characters, like the Firstborn. So be sure to pick up that book, even read volume one before you're going into this movie. And it'll, it'll do you some good. For yeah. sure. Yeah, and yeah. going off that, Sanjay sent some recommendations over. I'm going to rattle off a few nice. of these. Um, he's talked about a lot of these in the past as far as some key comic book runs that you need okay. to get into. Wonder Woman Blood by Brian Azzarello. That's yes. the new 52 yeah, run. That's the volume I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, so that's kind of the big one for here. I think they're going to be taking a lot of cues from that. He's talked about in the past Wonder Woman High T or Hike T. Um, this is a Greg Rucka. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. this is fairly recent as well. We got George Perez run from Wonder Woman. And these are all the events after Crisis on Infant Earth. Yeah. And he kind of really revamped her origin story, but he played a bit more off of this molding of clay and kind of really developed the Greek mythology behind it all. Wonder Woman Circle by Gail Simon. So it has Wonder Woman fighting Nazis in Paradise Island. So this, again, goes back to her comic book origins of more World War II. Right. Where the movie's going to be more World War One. Yes. And I, th yeah, maybe to separate it a bit from Captain America. Yeah. But it's cool to go back. It's like revisiting the stories of Captain America when he's fighting the Nazis. It's got a similar concept going back and seeing what she was doing during her initial kind of origin story. Right. And then we got Wonder Woman, the animated movie. So this isn't a comic book. But this is something that he says that he really does enjoy. It's from 2009, and it retells her origin story set in modern time. So, again, they may be taking some cues from what the writers did in this in the past. Cool. And he also does recommend here, Batman vs. Superman, Donna Justice Ultimate Edition. <laughs> <laughs> he really uh, wants people to go back and revisit that because yeah. he feels that, as we said, she's a bright spot <laughs> of that movie. <laughs> and particularly, I don't think you really need to, to watch that to yeah. go into the movie. Most people have. But at the same time, I'm hoping, like you said, it has a Winter Soldier effect yes. for that movie is that it makes that movie better because of what they do after. Yes, of course. That's when I will watch it. Yeah. After Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, like you, I'm pretty excited for this. We're going to go checking this out tomorrow night. Yeah. And we're going to be back here next Thursday reviewing Wonder Woman. Like I said, Sanji's going to be back at the table so he can give us all of that insight and some of that depth that we're lacking yeah. here right now and explain some of those, those details, maybe some more of those Easter eggs that are going to be kind of peppered throughout this film, I would highly imagine. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that more or less wraps up this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed talking a little bit of Wonder Woman. If there's something we missed or if there's a book you would like to recommend, please feel free to email us at thenerdram at gmail.com. You can comment on our YouTube or Facebook pages, and you can always catch us over on Twitter. Our handles are at the end of the episode and if you guys aren't already doing it make sure to go check out the star wars commonwealth everyone's producing absolutely incredible content talk star wars tumbling saber generation x-wing sky opera's podcast and the rogue squadron podcast everyone's doing a lot of coverage of the recent last jedi news they're putting out some fantastic theories as to what all this could mean so if you want to really go into the depths of star wars make sure to go check out those other podcasts 
But always come back here for the next <laughs> Star's news. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next week for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and Troy the Boy 87 Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room Podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.